<laughs> You're right there. I wore a hat so I could spit on it. All right. That's not funny these days, Bob. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beauty of it. Lord, we thank you for being able to gather in this way and for your word. Lord, for your promise of an end to this story. Um, and uh, Lord, it's, this is not a fairy tale, but it ends better than any fairy tale we've ever read. And Lord, how little we think of what is coming. You know, we think, you know, the 60, 70, 80, 100 years at best, you know, we're going to have here is so important when there's a thousand years, Lord, ahead of us. There's a honeymoon with Christ, Lord. There's, there's things that we, we, we can hardly imagine coming. Father, you've written about it. So, Lord, may we read your word. Lord, may we, like Revelation 1 said, may we hear what you have to say. And may we keep the words of this prophecy. May we latch on to them and make them our own, Lord. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Guys, would you turn to, you think I'm going to say Revelation 20, but I'd actually like you to turn to Luke 17, something we saw uh, in our midweek this Thursday. And I apologize for the recording of it. It was, the audio was terrible. So even if you tried to listen to it, you may have turned it off. And we're going to fix that. Uh, we have fixed that. Um, but in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, and I'm just going to kind of give a sense of this, uh, just so you know where I'm pulling this from. Jesus and his disciples were approached by some Pharisees. And these guys came, you know, Pharisees, there's 7,000 of them in Israel. They were predominantly wealthy, powerful, very religious men. They had, uh, you know, many people held them in high regard. Jesus did not. Um, but they come at Jesus and they say, you know, they come scoffing. They come mocking. And they say, you know, they ask is this all there is to your kingdom? That's the sense of it. Is this really it? You and 12 nobodies wandering around, picking up the outcasts of society. Is this it? Where, where, where's the opulence? Where's the power? Where's, where's God in all of this? And Jesus says, hey, the kingdom of God does not come through this kind of cursory glance. It doesn't come through hostile examination. It doesn't just, it doesn't just, oh, you know, um, these guys just acted like they, they could take a look and just say, ah, that's nothing. Look at your kingdom. It's, it's insignificant, you know. Jesus said, you guys don't even realize that the king is right in your midst. He's right here. You're looking for this great kingdom, but you don't understand that the king is in your midst. So Jesus then turns to his disciples and he says, he says, the days will come, future, the days will come when you, and he means all disciples, not just the 12 or those there that day. He says, the days will come when you will desire, you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You know what that desire is in us, guys? It is that desire for this world made right. That's what he's talking about. He says, there's going to come a day when you look at present reality and you think, man, is this all there is? Is it going to stay like this forever? And he says, the day will come when you will long to desire to see the days of the Son of Man, His kingdom and all of its glory, which is not yet. And he says, they will say to you, other people, not believers, will say to you, come on, that's not, that's no kingdom. Look at this. 
you know, you're gathering in a parking lot. You're getting your feet all dirty. You're in your car. You know, you can't. This is the kingdom of God. Come on. They'll say, look here, look there. Chase after something else that's going to give you a little more satisfaction or pleasure or power or whatever you're after. And Jesus warned his disciples, he said, don't follow them because the day is coming. Just like when lightning strikes, where that flash of light, it comes from one sky and it goes all the way to the other. There's an event coming where everything will change and the whole world will know that this kingdom will not stand forever. He warned us of these things. You know, what we're going to focus on is the first six verses in Revelation chapter 20 today. And, you know, if you're like me, you know, you, you know things about the Bible, but you don't always ponder them. How, how much have we pondered a thousand years as if it were the Garden of Eden on earth? How, how, how much have we pondered that? You know, that reunification with uh, believers that have passed on, that have died, that are now back with us. You know, for example, I was talking to uh, Kelly earlier, and I said, you know, I've got an older sister in New Jersey, Marion. I love her to death. The Lord hasn't called me to New Jersey, and in some ways I'm kind of glad that he hasn't, right? But I miss her, and I bemoan it all the time. You know, I'm talking to the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, why can't I just live close to my sister? I want to see my nieces. I want to see my new nephew. I want to see... And you know what? Then the Lord says, hey, did you forget about 1,000 years? Like, did you forget about that? Because it's right here. You know, and some people say, you know, oh, a thousand years, it's all symbolic. It's just part of, you know, there's heaven and there's hell and it's just that simple. Well, no, there, there's a plan and a, and, a, and a purpose to all of this that's in God's word. And we shouldn't just say heaven or hell, that's it. You know, when I die, I'm going to somewhere. You know, there's a thousand years promised to us. And we're going to read about that today. We're going to talk about what that would be like. And these promises are great. They're grander than anything we could imagine. Scripture says they're exceedingly, abundantly better than what we can ask God for or even think about. That's what's promised to us. And the amazing thing, guys, I just we'll start with this. Why? Why did he make such great promises to us? Who are we? You know? Well, I'm a fool. I'm nobody. I'm a whosoever. You know, God in His grace, I love the way Jude says it. You know, Jude talks about that moment where we come into the presence of God, whether by death or by the rapture, or, you know. And he says, he speaks about God's power to preserve and keep us and the attitude with which God longs for us to be with Him physically, to be present with Him. It says this in Jude 24, Now to God who is able to keep you from stumbling. Do any of you guys stumble ever? <laughs> yes. But He's the one that's able to keep us. And He's long-suffering. He, he uh, you know, uh, bouncing around a little bit. Just happens. Uh, anybody see Pilgrim's Progress, the new cartoon version? I loved it. I recommend it for you kids. There's this one line where Christian, hopefully you know the story, it was penned by Paul Bunyan in prison years and years ago, persecuted for wanting to teach the Bible and uh, preach the gospel, and he was not allowed to do that by his government. So he wrote this allegory in prison. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, have fun reading the old version. Uh, that's why I watched the cartoon. There's this one line where the devil literally is talking to this pilgrim, Christian by name, who is traveling to the celestial city. And the devil, Satan, reminds Pil uh, to Christian, this pilgrim, he says, how many times have you already failed God on this journey, Christian? 
How many times have you already failed them? Right? Anybody ever hear stuff like that echoing in your mind? How many times have you already failed them? Who do you think you are? And Christian responds, well, then Satan says, you're a disgrace to this king of yours. And Christian responds, he says, which makes his mercy and forgiveness all the sweeter. Makes his forgiveness and his mercy all the sweeter. This is the attitude with, God, with which God waits for us. He who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless. Not because we're without fault, we never make mistakes, but because he has washed us white in the blood of Jesus Christ. To present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's like excessive joy. Excessive from our perspective. When you come before God, he will be exceedingly joyful that you are there. Just like any one of us would rejoice or should rejoice over a lost you know, child that comes back to us, right? Jesus told that parable, that story. Man, he's so excited, guys, and we should be too. So, look, flip one other place. I want to give you a sense of this kingdom that we've been talking about, this millennial kingdom, this millennial thousand years. You know, what's that all about? Well, the, the it's all over Scripture. It's not just in Revelation 19.20. It's everywhere. For instance, turn to Isaiah 35. I think this is one of my favorite places because of what it talks about. Isaiah 35, verse 1. You know, the world will mock us for believing in things like this, guys. And you'll have to wrestle and grapple with that yourself. What are you going to hold on to? Who are you going to truly fear, God or the opinions of man? Right? What are you going to hold on to? Does this world ever change? Yeah, <laughs> we've seen it with our own eyes. What never changes? The Word of God. In Isaiah 35, you know, I'm just going to read for a little bit. This is describing the future glory of Zion. Zion being Jerusalem. There's a heavenly, you know, there's a heavenly kingdom come down to earth for a period of time, guys. And in Isaiah 35, 1, it starts this way. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Let's just think about what the world will be like. It'll be like the Garden of Eden restored. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. You know, I just put in a garden, right? No weeds. That sounds wonderful, right? Any of you guys have days where you work and you're really frustrated because you think you did more, you know, at the end of the day, you've like made more problems for yourself than when you started. Like your project doesn't just go as well as you think it should. That's, that's not there. There's work to be done and it's fulfilling. It's purposeful. It's successful. You know, it's not in vain. But let's keep going. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. You know, Jesus will be physically present, ruling from Jerusalem. You guys ever long like, I hope you do, you know, to be at his literal feet? Like, to be able to ask him a question in real life. To be able to take something that's troubled you for years and go to him and have him give you a verbal, you know, real life response. That's the world that's coming, guys. 
I love what it says in verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Just like Jesus was warning his, warning his disciples. You know, people are going to tell you to look around. This is your kingdom. Big deal. He says, wait for what's coming. Don't give up hope. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are feel, fearful hearted that think it's never going to come to pass. That get bogged down here. That's what we are to each other or what we should be. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Like he's going to make things right. With the recompense of God, he will come and he will save you. He'll make you whole. I love this section. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open. You know, we're talking about a world with no more disabilities. And not just the big obvious ones, but even our own. Right? The eyes of the blind shall be open. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap, not just walk, they'll leap like deer. And the tongue of the dumb, the tongue of, 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 of people that have never spoken will sing out, they'll cry out, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Well, what's the desert? The desert is now. The wilderness is now. What's coming? This is coming. The parched ground shall become a pool. And the thirsty land, springs of water, and the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, a road, and it shall be called the highway to holy, the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. It's a highway going to Jerusalem, to the king of kings, who's literally, literally here. Whoever walks the road, I love this part. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, that, that's us. You know, we're not... We're not the most brilliant, noble people in the world. At least I'm not. I don't know about you necessarily. But this, there's a way provided for even fools that would listen and set their eyes, their hearts, their affections on this coming kingdom. Whoever walks the road, though a fool shall not go astray, no lion shall be there, no, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall, be found there. it shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Those, those purchased by God's love and the ransomed of the Lord shall, shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy on their heads and they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now turn with me now to Revelation 20 and we'll, we'll dig in. That's just a sense of it from hundreds of years before Christ. Where we came last week was this, this epic battle, well, epic from the Lord's perspective, this gathering of men in a, in, in a second-to-last attempt to, to throw off the rule of the true king, you know, under the, uh, the direction of the usurper, Satan, and his false kingdom, you know, God, Jesus Christ, with the saints, comes back. And um, the false prophet and the beast are thrown into the lake of fire. You know, all of those who were there to make war against Christ... Uh, were destroyed. And so we come to chapter 20. Hopefully you've been following along. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. 
You know, the way this ends, you think of Satan as very powerful. Um, he's not God's equal. He's not, he's not like, uh, you know, it's, it's not that way. For in this instance, we see an unnamed angel, not Gabriel, not Michael, but taking uh, a chain in one hand and a key in the other and going down and single-handedly binding Satan. You know, beware of people that are always talking about binding Satan, binding Satan. No, this angel goes and binds Satan for real. And I, I want you to think about this because it, it's interesting to me, right? The Bible says, resist the devil. This, it says it to this, us as believers. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? With God's power, with God's support, with God's ability, I can do all things through Christ, through Jesus Christ who gives me strength, right? So this angel, right, back in Daniel 10, there's this kind of epic battle between, you know, Daniel prays, and then three weeks later an angel shows up, and the angel says, hey, I was delayed because I was wrestling, I was fighting with the prince of Persia, who is, is he's speaking about a demonic realm that we can't see or under, really understand totally, right? And I just want you to think about when God is, wants to do something, or when God is with you, right? This unnamed, low-rank angel comes and does exactly what God asks him to do with the power of God, and Satan is no match for him. You know, often we give too much credence or too much, too much power. We, we think of Satan too highly. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, all the way back from Eden, who is the devil and Satan. You guys, you guys should know this by now. Devil. What does that mean? The slanderer, the one like we, we read from Pilgrim's Progress. How many times have you failed him already? You're a disgrace. That's what he does. That's what he does in my life. That's what he will do in your life as you try to follow after God. You know, what does Satan mean? He's our adversary. That's what Satan means. He hates us. He wants to destroy us and rip away, rip us away from the one who truly loves us. But this angel comes binds him up for a thousand years and casts him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And as he's talking about the, you know, sealing him in there, is he talking about shutting him up, this accuser of the brethren, the one that's constantly in our ear messing with us, right? Yeah. He says that he, in verse 3, casts him into the bottomless pit and shuts him up and sets a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more. That's what he's been doing. Deceiving people. Deceiving not just nations. Nations are comprised of who? People. And people are all around us. People like our own family members. People like our own friends. People like our children. People like our parents. People are deceived everywhere. Everywhere we look, People don't understand, don't know, and don't want another kingdom. They don't want anything changed. They want this. That breaks God's heart. And he has sent each one of us to proclaim a kingdom that is coming and is as real as real can be, though it seems far off. And there are times, I'm sure for you, just like it is for me, where it's easy to give up hope. We feel like this is the way 
it'll be forever. You know, one of the lies that I, I would say Satan uses the most in my life is it's only a matter of time before you stumble, fall, and you're, you're just going to cast you out. Is that true to scripture, guys? No. So how do I fight that battle, right? With my own merit? No, he says, you've already failed him already. <laughs> well, I've lost there. <laughs> so where do I fight that battle? On the truth of his word. That's where I fight. That's where I stand, right? So, you know, there's this binding of Satan. There's this, you know, preventing him from deceiving the nations for a thousand years. Think about this. I mean, let's, let's like step away from the religiousness of this and just think about Jesus Christ is physically present on the earth and he takes a throne in Jerusalem. What is that like, right? He installs a government. Isaiah 9, 7 says the governments will be on his shoulders. He's carrying all the weight and everything we hoped for in a political savior is fulfilled perfectly by him. There's a period of, of, of rightness and peace. There's no more war. All the weapons of war are taken and melt down and made into farming implements and working implements. There's no war or famine or pestilence or earthquakes or natural disasters, right? There are some questions a lot of people say, well, is there death in the millennial kingdom? Let's talk about a few specific things. And again, I, I can't do this and be all, you know, sound all religious and all like, you know, I don't know. Is there death in the millennial kingdom? I would say that there is, although, let, let's, let's back, who's going to be there, right? Believers that are raptured will be there. Believers from the great tribulation that are are killed for Christ will be there. Um, believers that have died or, or, or slept or fallen asleep in Christ, that's a lot of the terminology in the Bible describes it that way, will be there from like us, people we've lost that are believers, all the way back to the Old Testament. Anyone that has put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ will be in this kingdom, right? There is a group of people that live through the tribulation that will also enter this kingdom. Not many. Uh, you know, if you kind of read and do the numbers through Revelation, you find that, you know, maybe a billion people, maybe two billion, make it through. The world's population is eight billion right now. Maybe just a small fraction of the Earth's population live through this cataclysmic time and they live into this new period. Right. So there is some strange things to think about. We'll be there. We'll have incorruptible bodies. God has promised that we'll rule and reign both as kings and priests during this time. Like what what's that going to be like? There will also be natural people that continue to get married and have lives and, you know, have children and their children have children, have children, have children. Right. For a thousand years. You know how quickly the population in the world went from one billion to seven billion? 200 years, from 1804 to just a few years ago, right? The world will explode in population again, right? There'll be an enforced righteousness. Jesus knows everything, doesn't he, right? So will people be able to sin? Will people be able to do things that are wrong? Yeah, but they won't get away with it. There will be quick and, 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 and good justice. It won't be like what we, I mean, we have a great system in the United States, but still we can see the flaws that are inherent to any system made up by man or governed by man. It will not be like that. You know, um, people will live long and productive lives. There's a, Isaiah 65 says, no more will kids die, you know, a few days after they're born. That won't happen there. 
you know, people will live long lives, natural people there. And I know maybe that's, it sounds fairy tale-ish, but it's not. This is what the scripture says. Satan is locked up for a thousand years, and guys, it says, and we'll talk, I keep putting you off, because each week I think I say, oh, we'll talk about it next week, we'll talk about it next week, but he's bound for a thousand years. He's He's not allowed to deceive and mess with people. You know, some of the other ways that the uh, that this time period is described, and I, I've, said, I've said these before, you know, um, older people will be out at night without fear. Kids will, again, play in the streets. There will be no abductions. There will be no murders. There will be no rapes. There will be no crime that goes undiscovered or undealt with. There will be peace on earth. Everything we put our hand to, to work, will be productive and successful. We'll have him physically present. It'll be a wonderful time. You know, I think about, I think about me and my sister. I think about what, 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 what would we be able to do with a thousand years of time? I mean, is there any place we won't vacation to? Right? Is there, I mean, and, and, and I know I say that glibly, but Roosevelt will be there. And he'll be like, I'll be totally well. I, I think we undervalue this time period. You know, we just have been like Sunday school, like there's heaven, there's hell, and that's, you know, that's it. Well, the people that have died already that don't believe in Jesus are in a place of waiting. That's not quite hell. It's not the lake of fire. They're still headed there. It gets worse for them. And for us, even entering into these thousand years, it only gets better for us. And, you know, Satan is bound for a thousand years, and it says he must be released one more time. And we're going to talk a lot about that next week, and that'll be our focus. But there is something that God wants to reveal to man that no environment, no environment, as perfect as the world will be, guess what? You know, uh, we'll still have a problem. Right? We sin because temptation comes from the world around us, the devil who tempts us, and our own flesh. So the world's perfect, the devil's gone, but who's still around? Not in a believer, not in that state, but the natural people of this world that are marrying and having kids, they'll serve, they have to, they, they can't get away with anything wrong. But after a thousand years, God is going to present them with a choice by allowing Satan to come back. And we will find, we, it will be proven to us once again, that even with a perfect environment, we don't love God on our own. That's our reality. We are a fallen race. We need God's grace. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but I want to talk about verse 4. It says, and I saw thrones. John says he saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Well, what does he see? Does he see God? Well, God's on the throne, but he sees thrones. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, don't bring a lawsuit against a brother in Christ, because didn't you know we are going to judge angels? Didn't you know that we are going to judge this world 
Guys, do you understand that God is preparing you as a believer for a role that is bigger than you could ever imagine? You know, when Jesus told the parable of the minas and he, one servant got 10 minas, you know, one got five, another, you know, um, based upon what they did, their faithfulness with what the master gave them and entrusted to them, they received, do you remember how the parable went? One received 10 cities, the other five cities. And the one that did nothing received nothing. In fact, what he had was taken from him and given it to the one that had ten. I think there's more to that parable than we think about. We will be ruling and reigning with Christ. You know, if you knew you were going to be king someday, maybe we would take more seriously our call to grow and learn of God, learn of his grace, proclaim his kingdom. If that's really our future, and that's what this declares it is, but man, we... We sometimes undervalue the promises of God, don't we? I, I, I mean, I do. We certainly do. Kings and priests, he said. I mean, if he just said priests, we'd be like, oh, we'll serve God forever. You know, that'd be wonderful. But he said kings. Jesus told his own disciples, you guys are not just my servants, you're my friends, because I'm going to tell you what I'm going to be doing. And if you ask for something in my name, I'll do it. You guys are, are more than just servants and slaves. You're, you're, I'm preparing you for a role that you can hardly imagine. You know, the, the right authority and judgment and justice and privilege that I'm going to entrust to you. That's who our king is. Not just get out of the way, sit down, I got everything for eternity. That motivates me. I don't know about you. I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. You may read that and think, well, the people from the tribulation that are killed, are they the only ones that are there in this kingdom? No, that's not what it's saying. It's highlighting the fact that these people who gave their lives, you know, just like the people in John's day, six million Christians killed in the first 300 years of the church, right, by Rome, that refused to worship Caesar. They would have their heads locked up. And John includes this promise to say, hey, stay true to Jesus because you'll be there for sure, just like we will too. He's highlighting, not just saying only, only this group will be there, but he says, but the rest of the dead, well, who's that? Anyone through any age that did not believe and put their trust in Jesus Christ, the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. They're waiting. What are they waiting for? The great white throne judgment. We'll read of that next week. They're waiting for a final judgment. They're in hell or Hades or the grave or a, the Bible calls it a bunch of different things. They're in a place of waiting for this final disposition. They're not enjoying the kingdom. This is real people too. This is not just like, oh yeah, this is a story, you know, we open the storybook and oh wow, you know, that cartoon character, you know, didn't make it. No, these are real people that we know and love. The dead did not live again until that thousand years was over and they're, and they're brought back for what purpose? Judgment. A final judgment. You know, man, Scott is waiting for me. But let's, the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. And then he says, this is the first resurrection. This, those that are in the kingdom, those that are in the millennial kingdom, this is the first resurrection, not in terms of time. Here, I'm going to lose you guys. I'm not going to be able to explain this. 
quickly. It's a category. You want to be part of the first resurrection. You want to be, have your body restored. You want to put your trust in Jesus Christ. That's the first resurrection. You're brought back for heaven on earth, before the new heavens and the earth, which is even better. We'll get there, right? Where there's no death at all, ever, and no sin, nothing that would defile, right? What you don't want to be part of is that second resurrection where you're brought back, brought to life again, to be thrown in the lake of fire. And that's where we're headed. That's a terrible place to end, but read ahead. This, this, John is given this by the Lord to reveal things to us. You know, one last little verse, it stuck out to me this morning. But, you know, most of us know or are familiar with that verse in Hebrews 11, verse 6, where we are told, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, he exists. He is real as he says he is. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Notice the next verse. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he was moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. What has God called us to do with the knowledge ahead of time? To prepare, to reach out to our household or those beyond it, those that we love? I think so. By which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah responded to that promise of a future kingdom. He didn't know it all, but it moved him to action. And he took action upon people that he knew and loved and began to prepare. And we can do likewise. God, we thank you for your word. Um, I pray that you would uh, bless these people as they read ahead and they continue to just chew on this stuff. Lord, thank you for a beautiful day. We thank you for your love for us, which we do not deserve. And we thank you that, Lord, you're so excited for this time. Lord, help us to be too. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Hey, grace and peace, guys.